Today's reading comes from 1 John 3, 11 through 18, and chapter 4, verses 12, 7 through 12. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer, and, does, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that, we lo not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jen. Pray with me. Jesus, we come before you this morning humbled, recognizing that in the face of your love for us, our love for you in return and our love for others so often falls short. Uh, Father, we come into this room and we recognize that we need you, each and every one of us, in our own unique way. We need your grace, and indeed, we need your love. We need your love to fill us. We need your love to comfort us. We need your love to transform us. And so we ask for it. We ask that you would pour your love out with abundance. In Jesus' name, amen. It's great to be here. It's great to have my family with me. It's great to have my kids in worship because when I botch the punchline like I did with my intro to confession, my kids are going to let me know. The AT&T commercial is just okay is not okay. I totally missed it. Did I get it? That's right. Just okay is not okay. At any rate, we'll come back to that another time. Uh, in our sermon series, we've been in the book of 1 John and John has been a reliable guide for us as we seek to ask and answer the question, what are the characteristic rhythms of life for those who are seeking to follow Jesus? Whether we're starting, whether we're halfway down the road, whether we're coming to the end of our journey, whether circumstances are good or hard, what are the characteristic 
responses of grace and practices that we engage over a lifetime as followers of Jesus. I mentioned John has been a reliable guide, uh, and so he should be, because the John who wrote this letter is John the disciple of Jesus, one of the first three followers of Jesus. And so as he teaches us what it means to apprentice with Jesus, uh, which essentially is what discipleship means, he's speaking as one with great experience. John actually walked with Jesus. He was Jesus' first disciple. He had the privilege of living with him day in and day out. He got to sit and ask Jesus pointed questions about why he's doing what he's doing and what it would look like to do the same things, uh, but as our own unique selves and not as Jesus. John had the privilege of apprenticing with Jesus, and then he went on in his life to practice a lifetime of what it means to follow Jesus. And so he's been a good guide as we seek to understand these rhythms of believing in Jesus and obeying to find assurance and battling sin in our lives and now this morning, loving others. Loving others. One of the characteristic rhythms of the life of those who are following Jesus is to love as he has loved us. Uh, We can look at this in a number of ways, but uh, for our purposes this morning, if you're a note taker, uh, you can write this down. This is how we're going to try and get after it. First, uh, we see the beauty of love, and then immediately we see the challenge. We see the beauty of love, and then we see the challenge of love. To get through the challenge of love, we need to see the order of love, and then we want to figure out how to be the people who love. The beauty, the challenge, the order, and the people who love Uh, First, the compelling beauty of a life of love. I don't think I need to try and convince you that a life given over to the love of God and love of others is a beautiful and compelling life. But John seems uh, to want us to understand that. He gives us all sorts of evidences and he does it in spades. I remember uh, as reflecting on an apprenticeship that When I was growing up, my father was a contractor, and so I did an apprenticeship of sorts with him at a young age uh, in carpentry. And I remember vividly uh, one of the great memories of my life, watching my father drive a nail. I don't know if any of you are very good at driving a nail. You take a nail, you tap it, you get it set, and then you get it going into the wood, right? And this is how I would drive a nail. We're not done yet. I'm still driving the nail, right? My dad showed me how to drive a nail. He would take one tap, he would take a second tap, and then wham, and the nail was gone. I thought it was magic at first when he did it. I thought it was a magic trick, and he did it again. Tap, set, wham, nail is gone. And at that young age, that moment in my life, I thought, that is what I want to do. I want to be able to do that with a nail. That is a thing of beauty. Not only can you drive a nail in a spectacular way, but when you do that, you're building something. Once there was nothing, and now there's this structure going up. Uh, It was an apprenticeship of sorts for me at a young age, and I think it's a good picture of apprenticing with Jesus in the rhythms of love. You look at the actions of love that Jesus models for us, and when you see love modeled for you by somebody else, you immediately resonate. Your heart says, yes, that is what I want to do with my life. That is the kind of person 
that I want to be, somebody who can love in that way. And here's the mysterious, majestic reality of God's grace in our lives. Not only does he invite us and teach us and equip us to love in that way, but when we do so, we're actually participating in the building project that he is doing in the world with his love. The restoration and the renewal of all things as Joey prayed for us in our prayer of the people. Friends, to love as Jesus loved is a compelling, beautiful way of life. John says in chapter 8, dear friends, let us love not just with our words, but in actions. And then he says, and in truth. Love and truth. And what he's getting at is that when we love, we are tapping in to the true reality of who we are as human beings. That love is the true way to be in this world, in relationship with God and in relationship with others. He says it in a slightly different way in verse 14. He says, we know that we've passed from death into life How? When we see that we're loving one another, that a life of love is characteristic of life, capital L. He's saying this is the way you want to be in life. The logic is there as well. In verse 8, you've heard this verse, God is love. Not God does love, but God is love. That one of the mysteries of who God is in his essence, in his core, is that he is love. And if God, as love, is compelling and beautiful and majestic, it goes to follow that love is beautiful and majestic and compelling. The logic is there. Even the command resonates with us, doesn't it? The very first verse that we read reminds us, see what kind of love the Father has given us. Nope, wrong verse. (laughs) For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. There's all sorts of commands that God gives that you struggle with and that I struggle with. I don't know what they are for you. I'm not going to mention this morning what they are for me, but we have them, right? God gives us some commands and sometimes they're hard. And sometimes our heart resists and rebels and says, I don't want to follow you in that way. But when it comes to this command, dear children, let us love one another. Our hearts say, yes, of course, let us love one another. It's a beautiful and compelling way to live. Even as John gives us some definitions of what love is, we respond. Our hearts gravitate toward this way of being in this world. In verse 17 of chapter 3, John says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. This is so helpful because love is one of those words in the English language that does so much duty for so many different concepts that it's hard to really get a handle on what the Bible is talking about when it says love. Right? You know this. I can say that I love pizza, and I can also say that I love my wife Kathy, and I sure hope that those two words mean something a little bit different, right? When the Bible talks about love, it talks about not just loving with words, not just loving with emotions and our affect, but loving with deeds and with our actions. And John says very plainly, if we have the world's resources at our fingertips, and if we close our fists 
and close our hearts up against somebody who needs that, then the love of God is not in us. In other words, what love is, is being open-handed and open-hearted in our actions and our attitudes toward those around us in need. And when you hear that, does your heart not respond and say, yes, that's how I want to be in this world? Certainly, certainly when we see how Jesus embodies love, our hearts resonate. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Friends, when you see love in action, you recognize, I want my life to be characterized in this way. I want to be for others for a lifetime in the same way that Jesus is for me for a lifetime. It's not hard to be convinced that this rhythm is indeed beautiful and compelling. As I said, when you see it in action, you know that it is reality. I remember my uncle telling me a story of my grandmother. Uh, When my uncle was in his 20s, he was volunteering with the youth at his church, and they held a concert in the gymnasium. And so he shows up, and there's his mom. At this time, my grandma was probably in her 60s. And he said, Mom, what are you doing here? Like, do you like this music? And she says, no, I hate this Christian acid rock stuff. She said, this is terrible. He's like, well, what are you doing here? She said, well, I know that these kids love it, and they're here, and if I can be here and pray that as they listen, they might find Jesus, well, then that's a good thing to do. If I could love the way that my grandmother loved that day for a lifetime, serving in this church or wherever God has me, wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? Friends, you're sitting in this room because to some degree you recognize that to love as Jesus loved is a compelling way to be here in Austin, Texas. It's in your vision statement. We're a gospel-formed family for the city. What is to be gospel-formed if it's not to be shaped and defined and empowered by the love of Jesus given to us first? What does it mean to be a family as followers of Jesus. Look at page two in your worship folder. Gerald's sister gives a wonderful quote. He says it much better than I. Surprisingly, the church's success depends on only one thing. Not great wealth, political power, sophisticated technology, superior organization, great preaching, public rallies, big buildings, or creative programs, but the mutual love shared within the community of faith. Did you catch that? The church's success depends on one thing, the mutual love within the community of faith. The qualities of relationships amongst Christians, these Christians, make the church an effective witness for the gospel for it creates the kind of community into which others are naturally drawn. More on that later. You're here because you recognize that this can be, when we're at our best, empowered by the Spirit of Jesus, a family of love. Gospel-formed family for the city. This community doesn't exist for our own sake alone. We exist for the good of our friends and neighbors as we 
embody and live out the love of Jesus for them. I could go on, but I think you get the point. A life of love is a beautiful and compelling way to live. Which for me, begs the question in a confrontational way to my heart, why then do I not love more? Why then does the Apostle John have to say over and over and over in this little letter, dear children, let us love one another? Because we need the reminder. Because so often we fall short in our efforts to love in the ways that we want to love. Because we recognize that just okay isn't okay. And yet, so often in the rhythms of our life, we find our love feeling like it's just okay. And what is that? Well, to encourage you, part of the reason why loving is such a challenge is because loving in the way that Jesus loved is really, really hard. Right? You know this. The very things that make a life of love compelling and beautiful are the very same things that make it incredibly difficult. Right? John says, this is how we know love. Jesus laid down his life for us and we should lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. That's a challenge. When Kathy and I were engaged, I went to meet her family and her brother, uh, 19 at the time, was a budding Marine. And so he ended up having sort of the conversation with me. And essentially, what it boiled down to was, will you give up your life for my sister? It was more like, will you take a bullet for my sister? And I said, of course, yes. Of course I would. Right? And we all mean that. When we think about what we would be willing to do for somebody that we love dearly in a moment of trial, we all would resonate and say, yes, I, I want to be the kind of person that would lay down my life for my wife, for my best friend, for my roommate. And yet, friends, for the most part, we are not called to lay down our lives in an extreme moment of trial. Maybe some of us will have that opportunity. But for the most part, characteristically, we're invited to lay down our lives for those we love in the mundane, everyday moments of our life. And that, my friends, is very, very hard. Sure, I'll take a bullet for Kathy, but will I give up my comfort for Kathy? Will I give up my convenience for my kids? Will I give up my efficiency to slow down and be present? Will I give up my autonomy and let somebody else have a say in my own life? Right? Will I give up my reputation at work? Will I give up my ambitions if need be? Will I give up my stuff? Those things that I say don't mean anything to me, but they sure mean something in the way that I live my life. Will I give up my life in the moment to moment, day to day reality with those who are closest to me? And the answer is I sure want to, but boy, it's tough. See, the nature of love is that it is such a beautiful way to live, which makes it such a challenging way to live. Again, back to verse 17. John suggests that to love is to be open-handed and open-hearted 
with the things that we have when somebody needs them, when anybody needs them. Maybe your mind casts back to Luke chapter 10 and the parable that Jesus told when he wanted to explain what it meant to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. He told the story, do you remember, of the Good Samaritan? And do you remember how that man loved? He gave everything. He gave his time. He gave his resources. He gave his intensity. He gave everything that he had in that act of love. And it's challenging. It means paying attention to the needs of others as you go throughout your day. And that sounds like an easy thing to do, but friends, just stop for a moment and think about how hard it is to pay attention to others when we're making our way through our day with our agenda. It can be incredibly challenging to go slow enough and to care enough to notice the needs of others around us when we're bent on our own agenda. It means being soft toward the hurts of others and being tender toward somebody else. It means, friends, cultivating generosity with our resources and with our things, being ready and willing to open up our hand and to let them go and to let God use them in love. Friends, when Jesus sums up the law, right, the 613 odd commandments that God had given, when he sums them up by saying, love the Lord your God with everything that you have and to love your neighbor as yourself, he's not watering it down to the easiest command we could possibly have. He's not making it lighter. He's making it weightier. He's saying that everything that God has given us to guide us in a life that will bring flourishing to others and glory to God, everything, all of those 613 and all the rest that they represent can be summed up in this weighty command, love not easier, more challenging. Jesus doubles down, which is sort of a relief for us because at least we can recognize okay, we're being called to something real. We're being called to something challenging. We are being called to be our greatest selves in the call to love, and that is a challenge. And so how do we meet the challenge? How do we get through the challenge? Right, what would it look like if you're sitting here this morning and you're wondering, what would it mean if I gave myself to Jesus? Maybe you're here because you've been watching somebody and you've seen them live in a compelling way that's different than any way of living that you've ever really known. And it's brought you to church. And you're sitting here and you're asking, what would it what would it be like if I go all in with this Jesus guy? What would it feel like? How might I grow in my ability to love? The answer is, again, open up your hands. Not first to give your love away, but first to receive God's love to you. Open up your hands, open up your hearts in a posture of humble reception. John says it again and again and again. This is what love is. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. The way that we're going to go about loving others is by first receiving the love of God. And this makes all the sense in the world. 
Because one of the biggest challenges of loving others is recognizing that so often we're prone to love ourselves first. Kids, did you notice that John tells this interesting story of Cain and Abel? Do you remember this story from Sunday school? It's in the first pages of the Bible. Adam and Eve are first parents, right? And they have kids, two brothers, Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel both offer a sacrifice to God. And we don't know why, but the Bible says that God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but he didn't accept Cain's sacrifice. And as John tells the story here, Cain killed his brother Abel because Abel's sacrifice was righteous and Cain's was not. And what is going on here in the heart of Cain? Cain is loving himself. Right? He's loving his own reputation. He sees that his brother is better than him, and that's a threat because he has to protect his own reputation, his own self-interest. And he does it not by loving somebody else, but by killing somebody else. Because Cain was so interested in self-love, he was not able to give love to his brother. In fact, he acted in the opposite way against his brother. And isn't it so often the case that when it comes to our inability to love the way that we think we want to love, it's not really that we don't have the resources, the time or the talent or the treasure or whatever. It's that we don't want to deploy those resources for somebody else's good because we think we have to deploy them for our own good. This world is hard and it's a zero-sum game. And if I don't look out for myself, who's going to look out for me? And so our world tends to turn in on ourselves instead of out toward others. Again, kids, you can help me out here. My science is not great. But the solar system revolves around what? Our planets revolve around the sun. Who's the sun? You or God? God, right? God's the sun. He's at the center. And we're made to revolve around him. But so often we make ourselves the sun, don't we? We put ourselves at the center so that life can be for us. But here's the problem. God didn't make us to be the sun. He made us to be the planets revolving around the sun. And so then what happens? Well, there's another object in space. Do you know what a black hole is? Right? It has some kind of density that's so heavy that things do come to it, but then once things get to the black hole, what happens? It eats them all up. And that's what happens when we live a life of love for ourselves. We end up, instead of loving others, eating them up for our own good. If somebody gets their feelings hurt because we make a joke about them so that we can feel better about ourselves, that's self-love, not others' love. And I'm not talking to the kids anymore, right? I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to you. So back to the gospel, back to receiving God's love. How does receiving God's love help us overcome this tendency towards self-love? Friends, if you have the love of the God of the universe, the God who made you and redeemed you and is restoring you, if you have his love, do you need any other love? Do you need to love yourself? Do you need to fight 
to bring resources into your life if you have the resources of the God of the universe. If God loves you so deeply that he became one of us and walked amongst us and lived for us and died for us and was raised for us, if you have his love, you don't need any other love. You're safe. You're good. You're free to be the person that you long to be, somebody who can give away themselves for the sake of others and the glory of God. Do you see how the order works? We receive God's love first so that we can then live out his love for others. Not only does God's love make us secure, God's love actually makes us into people who can love others. Not only do we get Jesus' love, when we're united to him, we actually get Jesus. And we get his spirit in us. Which means that all these crazy hard ways to love that we long to do, we're actually given hearts that are more and more able to do them. See, John walked with Jesus and he watched how Jesus loved. But if John had never been given Jesus' spirit, he would not have been able to put that love into practice in his own life. One more quote for you on page two again. You're welcome to turn and read along. Rankin Wilburn is a pastor in Southern California. He wrote a book called Union of Christ, and he's reflecting on this mystery of what happens when we're united to Jesus through faith and baptism. He says, the same Christ who overcame every temptation and was perfectly obedient, that Jesus is in you now. The Jesus who had compassion on the crowds and who healed the sick, that Jesus is in you. The humble Jesus who led as a servant, who washed his disciples' feet. Remember when he said, I'm loving you, now go love others. He washed his disciples' feet. That Jesus, he's in you. The Jesus who repeatedly shattered racial barriers with his teachings and in his life. That Jesus is in you. The Jesus who suffered and loved to the end, he dwells in you. And the Jesus who is raised to new life, that Jesus is living in you right now. Friends, this is the good news. We have the love of God. As we love and as we give ourselves away, we have an endless, unlimited resource filling us up on the back end so that we can continue to love. It's the love of Jesus in us. If John told us, here's how you should love, now go do it, the end, we would be in big trouble. But that's not what he says. He says, we can go love because God has loved us. And he continues to do so. And so what might it be, friends, finally, number four, to be people who love? What might it look like to be people who love? Uh, maybe we can just try to answer the question, who should we love? Right, or in the words of George Thorogood and the Destroyers, who do you love? Anybody get that song reference? Who do you love? Who are we called to love? Jesus says, love your neighbor. A great place to start when it comes to love is just to love the nearest neighbor that you have. 
And so, kids, if you're here and you have a brother or a sister next to you, that's a great place to start when it comes to loving. Right? College students, young adults, adults young at heart, whoever you are, if you have a roommate, great place to start in loving others as Jesus has loved you. Start with your nearest neighbor because they're available and they have needs. And you've been invited to love them. For John, the nearest neighbors are your church brothers and sisters. Did you catch that? Throughout both these chapters, he keeps saying over and over again, brothers and sisters, let us love one another. We know that God's love is in us when we love the brothers and sisters. He keeps saying that the place to start with our love is to start in the church. Not because Christians are more deserving of love, maybe because Christians need love, more than somebody else, not because Christians are better, not because your churchmates are more deserving, but because they are to be your nearest neighbor. What John is suggesting is that you are invited to live in a community in which you can give and receive love with those who are also giving and receiving the love of Jesus, your church community is your nearest neighbor. I don't know if that's a challenge to you, but it's a challenge to me. Because what it means is I'm being called to get to know you well enough to know how I can love you. And I'm being called to be vulnerable enough so that you can get to know me well enough so that you can know how to love me in return. So maybe the place to start with a call to love is a call to get near some other brothers and sisters in this congregation. I don't know if you're a member of a parish group. Parish groups are groups that are uh, gathered in geographic areas throughout the city. And what that means is we're not just gathering around shared interests or likes or ways of being. We're just being gathered because we live together. And that means you're probably going to bump into somebody in a parish group who is hard to love. And guess what? There's probably somebody in a parish group who's going to find you hard to love as well. And that's where we start to live this out, to love others as God has loved us. And here's the beauty. When that happens, Jesus says, you will begin to participate in my mission of love to the world. Right? What I resonated with watching my dad hammer nails wasn't just watching a nail disappear into a board. It was watching a building being constructed and being invited into that process. Friends, as we love one another, Jesus says in John 17, that those around us will see that love and they will know the love of God for them. What an incredible opportunity. Let's pray that God would give us the courage to join in in his love. And so, Father, we pray just that. We pray that if we have not yet received your love, that you would give us tender hearts to recognize our need and to respond in faith. Uh, Father, I pray for those of us who may be feeling distant from your presence and your love, that you would draw near to us and that you would convince us in all the actions that you do for us that we are loved. And Father, I pray that you would give us courage and wisdom as a congregation to know how to receive and then turn around and display your love for our friends and for our neighbors for your glory. 
We'll give you all the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.